Hello and welcome to this podcast with Diane Gender Solicitors and Alan Searle. Hello, Alan. Hello. Uh, some of you will have uh, heard episodes one and two of this three-part series where we're looking at some of those issues that uh, our clients within this divorce field will encounter in dealing with the mental aspects of divorce and separation. Yeah. Uh, Alan, you explained to me that you're a behavioural psychologist. You work with individuals, helping them to focus on performance in various sectors. You help them to control and understand mental challenges and to focus in order to be effective in any circumstances they find themselves in. Yeah, very much so. Um, a lot of my work does involve working with sports athletes, um, people in high-risk, high-performance jobs such as firefighters, keeping a good sense and level of mental toughness really to keep them safe and keep them focused. I invariably recommend you to our clients uh, anyway. So, oh, thank you. Uh, just because I take the view that it's, it's essential that as clients approach divorce and separation that they realise that this isn't just a procedural process, it isn't just an emotional process, but that there will be those mental aspects that will impact them uh, profoundly. Uh, and, and I do want them to be able to understand what's going on in that sense so that they can be effective. Um, and in this uh, episode, I... I, I the idea that I had was, what can you and I explore within this program that would help my clients to be, I thought, more resilient as they uh, go through these processes? And you've got a different phrase for it, haven't you? Tell us about that. Yes. Uh, resilience is commonly known within the field of psychology. Um, the term that I use is mental toughness. And when I carried out my psychology degree, I was privileged enough to be personally supervised by a person called Dr. Peter Clough. Uh, Peter Clough at the time was the head of psychology at Hull University. He's now a professor at Manchester University and in 2002 devised an assessment, if you like, to work with athletes predominantly to start with um, on mental toughness and how mental toughness can be developed for optimum performance. So why was there a need for this assessment and this work? Well, if you consider golfers, for example, uh, they play nine holes and they hit a bad shot, they've then got to put their bad shot to the back of their mind. Mm -hmm. And doing that is quite difficult. Because if you listen to the previous podcast, we talked about the inner voice and how the rational part of the brain needs to then reinforce the inner voice with positive talk. Mm -hmm. It's the same with mental toughness. We start with looking at how our behavior can take over our rational thought and how our positive feedback can then provide us with a stronger sense of control over our mental process. And so that will be the same just as it is for the, the pro golfer. So it is for uh, the people who I work with as they approach divorce and such like. They've had a profound setback. Something uh, quite catastrophic has happened. Uh, their spouse has left or they've decided they're going to leave. Um, and so they need to be able to get over that and still be operative as they move forward, not just for themselves, but also for their family generally. Yes, very much. The MTQ48, as it's referred to, the Mental Toughness Assessment, has expanded in its use. So it is used in organisations for organisational change, very much so for staff that are going through a highly stressful period. Organisational change or change of any sort can be very, very highly stressful. Mm. 
It's also been adapted for use in education. So children taking exams, for example, they can be subject to high levels of stress. So working with them on their mental toughness and on their approach, how they visualize how they're going to succeed, how they control those emotions is all really based around the levels of stress that they will be undertaking. And when you are in that position of being in a separation, it is a highly stressful time. Again, on the first podcast when we talked about the Kubler-Ross curve, there are periods that we can have self-doubt and depression Mm -hmm. and denial. Well, mental toughness can help us in supporting our own personality and mindset to strive for being able to deal with and handle a situation better. In order that we get, uh, we deal with it better and we get better outcomes as a result. Absolutely, absolutely. It all comes down to the um, strength of the mind, if you like. Now, the mental toughness assessment, uh, if, if you like, in itself, it scales on a, a one to ten, mm-hmm. and the average population usually sits somewhere about five point five. So it's something that's been um, validated through a, a massive, massive uh, population sample, and is continuously doing so. Every time someone carries out the assessment, it gets put into this validation process. So now you're making me anxious again. And in the last series, in the last program, some of you said, and I, and I was relieved because I felt normal all of a sudden. And now I'm anxious, lest I don't quite reach the 5.5 mark. Well, the 5.5 mark is just a national average. What you'll find, or not a national average, but an average population sample, what you often find is people that have been in high, tough environments or um, such as the firefighters or people that work offshore or CEOs of companies, depending on what challenges they face, depending on of what situational things they've been through, their levels of mental toughness may have naturally risen. So such as yourself being in court, you might find that your mental toughness score is quite high Mm. because you've had to train yourself to hold the composure. You've had to train your mind to be mentally tough in those pressured environments. So it is really how you respond to pressure. Uh, I'm feeling better already. (laughs) Thank you. So what kind of things does a mental toughness questionnaire cover? Well, predominantly it covers four main aspects. Um, They're referred to as the four C's as an easy way to remember it. And the four C's really combine control, challenge, commitment, and confidence. They're the the four main aspects. Um, To go into those in a little bit more detail, control is really looking at how individuals view how much they are in control of their situation, if you like, Mm -hmm. how much they feel that they are in control of what's going on around them. Now, control is split into two different elements. And again, this has a little bit of a link back to both the previous podcasts. The first element of control is emotional control. How good are we at controlling our emotions? Mm -hmm. Now, we made the uh, analogy of Spock in a previous podcast, Mm. and I will use the analogy again. Somebody that's very hard to read. Somebody that doesn't let any emotions seep out whatsoever would score potentially eight, nine, 10 on the scale. Now, these individuals can be very, very composed all the time, but in certain situations might be hard to read, might come across as being difficult to understand. Hmm. But in a courtroom environment, if you can train yourself to be more in control of your emotions, then you will be giving away less information through your body language Mm. almost like putting on a poker face yes the next side is life control 
Now, live control, at the early start of the separation period, early start of divorces, it could feel that your life is spinning out of control. So the mental toughness assessment is really there to capture a snapshot of how you are at a particular moment in time. So you can take that snapshot of somebody at a particular moment in time, then work with them on their mental toughness and, and different areas of what, which particular part needs to be worked on, and then later on do another assessment and look at distance travelled to see if their mental toughness has moved up in the scale. Now, that, um, that, within divorce and certainly the dispute resolution side, we, we might sometimes talk about the transformative impact of a crisis or, or a conflict and the idea that the, the, uh, the unfortunate need to have to go through that episode in one's life can actually bring about these positive changes in developing what, what you might call the control aspect of mental toughness. Yes, indeed. It could be that people do feel like they've lost control over their life Mm -hmm. and it's spiralled out and anything that they do, look, see, touch or anything is just beyond their control. Whereas working with them and working through the process of going through the divorce, at the end of it, hopefully they will feel that they are back in control of their life. Mm. Going back to the first podcast of personal identity, it may be that they've resettled, resituated and got themselves back on a better platform, mm. which then puts their level of mental toughness for life control back at a higher rate back back on a higher scale if you like mm. and this i mean that that rings true we, we've seen many stories and um you know stories in the press about uh divorcees who you know proclaim quite loudly that life's better than ever and i'm stronger than i ever was and, and one of that's maybe what what they're talking about in part quite possibly so at the start of the event it's something that is, is literally spinning out of control. Mm. At the end of the event, it's something that they feel that they are fully in control of. Mm. Mm. So control, we've looked at the emotional aspect and the life control aspect uh, of, of that. Uh, the other uh, four Cs, four Cs, so they're easy to remember. Ah, yes, they were control, we commitment, challenge, and help. Confidence. Confidence. Okay. Confidence. Which one do you want to talk about next? Well, we'll link in challenge. Okay. Um, I think that's a good one to sort of flow on to next with with the topic that we're talking about with mm. divorce. And again, linking back to the second podcast and looking at fight or flight. People will be at either end of the spectrum. And at this point, I must say there's no right or wrong in this assessment. Mm. Personality isn't wrong. Everybody's got their own personality and personality is unique to the individual. And it's, it's wrong to say that anybody's personality is wrong because that belongs to them. Mm. That's their feeling, that's their emotion. So when you think about challenge and person's personalities, they will see the process of going through divorce potentially as an opportunity to resolve an issue that has been niggling and burning away at them and for them to get the best absolute possible outcome that they can get and will rise to that challenge mm -hmm. and will embrace that challenge and almost enjoy that challenge mm -hmm. if they're scoring on the 8, 9, 10 side of the scale. Now, if you've got somebody that's scoring on the 1, 2, 3 side of the scale, we refer to them more as mentally sensitive. Mm. It's not weakness. Mm -hmm. That's not weakness. That is the wrong term to use. Mentally sensitive is just somebody that is more sensitive to what's going on around them. And they may find the challenge of going through that divorce too much to bear. Certainly. That, that, you know, that there are 
many clients, I would suggest, who, who just find it completely overwhelming. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a hard process to go through. So if you are in that state of finding it too much to go through, it's how you then coach the individual to get through it. It's how you develop the individual to take on the mindset for what they are embarking on in a more positive way or more mentally tough way. So, so that says that although we may sense and feel the overwhelm, that it's, that it's too much to bear, that with a, a coaching approach, we, we can equip ourselves, or we, we talked earlier, didn't we, about exercising certain capacities and abilities. So through coaching, we can increase our challenge quotient, if you like, so that we're, we feel better equipped and more willing to engage in the, the challenge that lies ahead. Yes, absolutely. Through coaching and guidance. Mm-hmm. It's through stages of the process of going through the divorce it may be that they just need times every however may periodically throughout the 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 process times where they just sit down and say this is overwhelming for me this is too much this is too much for me to bear and that's okay then you just need to help to rationalize it with the person Hmm. you just need to maybe visualize the end goal Hmm. what it is that you're that you're after at the end because when you're in the middle of that process even if somebody scores high on the challenge they still might feel halfway through it that it's too much to to carry on with so it's visualizing what it is that they are doing and why they are doing it why they're trying to get a fair negotiation in what really i suppose in terms of negotiations of divorce what's deserved to them hmm. And this is this is helpful because may, very often when I'm referring or recommending you to clients, the question is, well, what what would he do with me? And I think I think there's this <laughs> concern that you're going to go into a deep psychoanalysis of them and change them and such like. But but it, it's clear that this is uh, a much more facilitative approach. You know, much more coaching, uh, a lighter touch, if you like, but still with that results focus at the end of it it is absolutely i'm pleased you've 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 said it in that way because it's not about counseling it's not about going into the deep dark depths of your past and raising up things that happened in in years gone by certainly not about that it's about looking at the moment in time the snapshot in time and being able to mentally equip people with their best strategies of dealing with what's happening to move forward a lot of sports athletes have sports psychologists that work with them not because they've got to get through childhood problems, but they've got to get through the match that's in front of them, hmm. which is a different thing altogether. And much more immediate. And much more immediate. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the, the other ones, tell us about those. Commitment. This yeah. is a, a good one. And it follows on nicely if you think that we've just gone through the challenge of embracing the long haul, if you want, yeah. for, for a better word, for, for going through the divorce period. The commitment of actually seeing it through often referred to as stickability, hmm. sticking at the job until the end. Now, if you score low on, again, a mental sensitivity side, one, two, three, it may be that the commitment to seeing it through to the end is too much. And it's those individuals that are potentially more likely halfway through to just go, do you know what? I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Take the lot and walk away with nothing. Hmm. Whereas the people that score highly on the commitment side, scoring again 8, 9, 10, they would be the ones that will absolutely want to see it through to the end, regardless of how long it takes, regardless of what things are thrown in their way, regardless of any obstacle, they will see it through to the end. And I can see there are difficulties at both extremes of that spectrum once again. Yes, there are, because it might be that people... 
if I like to use the, the, the phrase a dog with a bone, won't let go until they really do have an, and have got what they want. Mm-hmm. They will keep and keep and keep and keep until they really have got exactly what they want. Mm. So there might be a process of needing to just rein somebody in a little bit. If they're scoring really highly across all the levels, it may be that they're coming across too harsh, too abrasive, and just need to be just reined in slightly to say, well, you know, there is a bit of a negotiation here and this is actually a good time to stop and to say we've got the best we've got. And, and Alan, this, this would be really valuable self-knowledge for uh, anyone to have, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yes. It, it goes across all industries, all sectors, all people. I mean, I, I carry out the assessment myself on a, a periodic basis just to see how I'm doing. Um, doing the job I do and having my own business it is sometimes challenging mm. and it's a, a good way to just get the challenges that you face. So it's really suitable for all. So from what you're saying, the results of this uh, questionnaire, the mental toughness questionnaire, can vary depending on where you are, what you're facing in your life at any one. Because some of these, the, the, the personality tests tend to be fairly consistent, don't they? Yes. Uh, but, but this sounds like it's much more, much more dynamic. Yeah, personality in essence in itself is quite rigid throughout life. Mm-hmm. Um, we do tend to, to have the same personality from uh, birth to death, if you like. There are situational conditions that change our personality. So an example could be somebody joining the forces at 16. Mm. Um, They're just starting to fully develop their personality. And then at 16, they join the forces and it takes maybe seven years before they leave the forces and the situational conditions have made them behave a certain way. Mm. And it's not because their personality has changed, it's because they've been trained to behave a certain way. So when they leave the forces, they've then got to refine their personality, which is a transition itself and a, a different subject for a different day. So going through the divorce process, it could be that for that particular moment in time, there's a situational change mm. in how they behave. So their personality will remain the same. They may, when they're going through the negotiation in court, act a certain way, almost take on the mindset of somebody that is mentally tough. They may even play the role of being somebody that is mentally tough. Mm. But at the end of the day, when they go home to their family or their friends, their personality might not have changed at all. They will be the same jovial person they've always been. Might be slightly down because of what they're going through, which is acceptable. But their personality, in essence, will remain relatively constant. Mm. So uh, that's uh, commitment. And the final one was? The final one is confidence. Um, And it's really having the confidence to be able to undertake whichever task it is you're going to do and all of us find confidence either up or down depending on what it might be some people love public speaking other people would go weak at the knees mm-hmm. um we're enjoying doing our, our podcasts yes hopefully yep. um whereas others might think how do they do that confidence is something that is again intrinsic with us and some people like some things more than others Even down to complaining in a restaurant, which is an example I often give. Um, Some people don't like to complain that the food is cold because they literally don't have the confidence to just say, sorry, I don't want to do this because they don't want the confrontation. But they'll go to the extreme of even leaving a tip, even if they haven't enjoyed the meal. So, yeah, isn't that bizarre? Whereas other people won't think twice. They'll take the meal straight back to the chef and say, I'm sorry, but this is just not acceptable. Yeah. So really, that's what you're looking at confidence. The, the people that have got high levels of confidence have a high level of self-belief, if you like, in what they're undertaking they can achieve. 
So when you embark on something new, such as me starting with my studies and meeting uh, Dr. Clough for the first time, he was great to have as a supervisor mm. because as he developed this mental toughness, he saw something in me and helped me work on my mental toughness from the start of my degree. Mm. So I've really been researching mental toughness now for... Um, a, a good eight years now and been involved in mental toughness for a good eight years in the sense of how it works and he really did help me with my confidence because being a mature student surrounded by 18 19 year olds with lots of a-levels mm. my confidence was a little bit shaky mm. but I learned how to work on that and give myself more of a confident outlook on life a positive self-belief that I can achieve and something that I kind of promote with a lot of the talks I do is a, a, a motto that I've tried to embrace, which is, if you believe you can achieve. Right. Never let people say to you, you can't do something. Mm. Believe you can do it. Have the confidence you can do it and drive that forward. Because if you do believe, you can achieve. That, that'd be priceless in my work. Very often I'm having to work very hard to pick people up and convince them that you know there is a future ahead that there is an outcome whether it's in relation to the the matrimonial finances or the arrangements for parenting for the children um, and, and just getting them to believe that we can get to that stage where you know that outcome is in place and what's more it, it can work and, and you know they, they can get to a stage to make it work yes and confidence is is good because it's another one that's split down into two subsections so we've got confidence in abilities Mm -hmm. which the person going through the divorce proceedings might have absolute confidence in their abilities and feel that they can go to work and go out socialising and, and all those things are separate to what they're dealing with mm -hmm. because that's what they can do. So I'm a can-do person, if you like. I can do that, no problem. Mm -hmm. But then the other side is the interpersonal confidence, which you can score at different ends of the scale for both of these right so you might be a confident person generically under under the spectrum and you could score say six six mm -hmm. or seven confidence in abilities you could call, score seven or eight interpersonal confidence you might score three to four mm. now if you're scoring three to four on the interpersonal confidence what you're really looking at is how you speak to people how you communicate with people how you interact with people and if it's a situation where you're in a courtroom and you're being challenged with what you are requesting or what you're negotiating and those types of things, if your interpersonal confidence is low, then it may be that you struggle to get your point across. It may be that you struggle to actually get the dialogue right to put it in such a way that is positive and assertive. Mm. Often people with low levels of interpersonal confidence can, can come across as being quite passive. Yeah, and I, I see this, uh, particularly where cases goes, uh, where cases go to a final hearing, which is where we would expect to see most of the, the kind of cross-examination that you might expect to see in a courtroom. And very few cases do go to final hearing, but when they do, how that hearing plays out is critical on the outcome. And invariably, the, the person who is being questioned is being confronted by usually highly articulate, eloquent barrister, uh, who uh, my sense is, you know, scores very highly on, on the confidence. And so they're able to uh, orate and such like and come up with these withering questions. And the person who is asking these questions, you can see them just wilt yes. in, in, in the face of this. Yeah. And that's a very difficult one. And, and the, the flip side to that as well is if somebody scores highly on the interpersonal confidence, 
and they are uber confident with yes. what they are doing, they can be assertive and they can put their points across very well, but they can also potentially come across as arrogant. Yes, and that and alienates. bullying. Yes. So then if you've got a barrister that is rising to the occasion because he has to because it's his job, and the person sat answering the questions is very highly scored on their interpersonal confidence, they could come across as being aggressive or confrontational. Yes. So then you've got a very strange dynamic of how that relationship plays out Certainly. within that time frame. Yeah. So again, if somebody scores high on that interpersonal confidence, it's good that they do, but it's having the recognition that they do so that they can control as and when they use it. Because it might be that, not to use the word manipulate, mm. but to be able to bring it in a little bit or pull it back a little bit so that it doesn't turn into a confrontation mm. is possibly something that is worth working on as much as somebody that might not be as confident with the interpersonal side of things as bringing their confidence levels up to be able to engage in that dialogue. And you're saying about manipulation, I've certainly seen those cases where a barrister has been able to manipulate a, a supremely confident uh, person who's being questioned to demonstrate that they are not confident, but that they are abrasive, that they are arrogant, that they lack consideration or even awareness of the other person and, and use that to uh, great effect in bringing about an outcome that maybe that person in the witness box didn't want. So well, it can be self-defeating. What you, what you have there as well is another dynamic. And it's another, another dynamic of gameplay, if you like. Um, transactional analysis mm. is something that is, is often related to when interpersonal confidence is being worked on. Um, transactional analysis came out, uh, again, sort of in the 60s sort of, sort of time, and it's a parent-adult-child, mm. um, often referred to as PAC. And somebody that's playing the barrister role may come across as a critical parent. So they're adopting what they call an ego state of a critical parent. And if you speak to somebody as a critical parent and address their childlike ego state, then potentially that person by default, if not aware, could respond like a child. So what that person needs to do is reframe the conversation and talk back to the barrister like an adult. Hmm. Because then the barrister will then have their ego state of an adult being addressed and then will feel compelled to lower their approach to being adult. Hmm. So then you end up with a conversation that's adult to adult, not parent to child hmm. or child to parent. If people find themselves in that situation of feeling like they're being spoken to like a child, it's very easy to then suddenly act like a child. Yes. So it's recognition of, I'm not going to be spoken to like that. I will talk back in facts. I will be assertive. I will say, what I'm supposed to say and not lose control of the conversation. And again, it's this mental toughness and if you like this, uh, this coaching to develop that mental toughness capacity that will enable us to keep hold of that adult to adult axis and not lose control or uh, spin out to the other extremes. Absolutely. And it could be that there's just one area of the mental toughness that needs working on. Mm. Um, it could be any of the four. It could be just one particular aspect that's lower than the others and you just need that extra little bit of coaching, that extra little bit of guidance just to really bring it to the conscious mind of how you are behaving and how you're acting. Again, if we go back to the amygdala, we'll be thinking about un 
natural responses in the sense of not rational thinking. So it's just bringing to the conscious mind rational thought and mental toughness being one of those to give you the extra confidence to address the challenge that's in front of you, to have the confidence to keep the commitment going and have the confidence to take control of the situation. And, and that that process, help, help me out, because we can, we can take this 48 question analysis on mental toughness and we can do that online as i understand it yes you can do that online and then what comes back from the online assessment is three reports uh, you get a, a coaching report which is written in sort of third person so if i was coaching somebody else they would get their developmental report so the developmental report is very much written you are like this in certain situations and then certain examples are given how you may respond in certain situations. Whereas the coaching report is written more in third person for me. Mm -hmm. So I can read it as this person would behave in such a situation. And then the suggestions would be questions that I would ask you. How would you respond in such and such a situation? So you're given a developmental report that you can read yourself and digest and use as your own tool to read about your inner self, which is the, the scary bit because you've done the psychometric assessment and you mm -hmm. find out and it's like it's talking to you and it knows exactly who you are. Then there's the coaching report that somebody else would work with you on. Mm -hmm. which is why it's more of the coaching than the counselling because you're looking at the proactive moving forward. And that's the work that you would do and with them. And that's the work that I would do with them. And then there's another aspect to it, which is like an assessor's report. Now, in the occupational world, the assessor's report is often used as guidelines for interview questions. But what I found beneficial with a lot of the clients that I've worked with is actually having the people fill out the assessor's report and answering the questions themselves as a self-help workbook. Right. So they go through each question and answer them honestly. Mm. So we might say sit there for one session and look at one aspect. We'll look at commitment and look at what it says about commitment. And then I'll send them away with the assessment section, mm -hmm. get them to answer the questions honestly. And then when they come back, we then go over the answers that they've given. And if there's anything in there that looks like it needs working on or highlighting or, or, or just having a bit more time spent on it, that's the opportunity that gives us time to discuss and coach and guide. And and this isn't necessarily a process that takes months and months or years and years. No, it's something that can take a very short time. Some people get the developmental report back, read it and go, wow, that's why I do it. Right. And it's a, it's almost like a, a eureka sense of, hmm. oh, I wish I'd done this before. I, now, now it puts it all into context. Hmm. And can naturally adopt a different mindset and can read the report and, and themselves very quickly adjust. And that can be done in a very short space of time. Depending on when the assessment's carried out and what else is going on around their lives and what stage they are in the process of going through the separation and divorce, it may be that they just need more coaching more guidance and more support to work on those particular aspects mm. because if they're feeling like they're under attack and if they're feeling like they're vulnerable in a vulnerable state it might be that they just need the extra support to be able to recognize the areas that need development and be able to work through those particular parts of the development but most certainly if it's done throughout the process of the separation being or the divorce being carried mm -hmm. out Really, from start to finish, it can be pick and choose as and when you feel like you may need it. So if it is at the courtroom situation when you're getting towards the end and you need to work on the confidence bit, mm -hmm. that's when we'll work on the confidence bit. 
if it's the beginning and you're looking at, oh, this is going to be a really long slog, I don't know how I can get through all of this, we'll focus on the commitment bit. Mm. So really, we can kind of dip in and out of the reports and dip in and out of the mental toughness report as and when it's required. Well, Alethester, I'm I'm intrigued. If I if um, I say if, where can I go to to uh, find the report and and to to give it a spin? If that was a, a first port of call. First port of call. Um, have a look on my website. I believe the link will be available. Certainly, yes. Uh, yep. So we'll yeah, have a, have a look on the website. Um, there is an inquiries form on there, so just fill in the details there. Give me your email, um, and then I will respond and, and pick up the communication from there and arrange a link to be sent out, which is basically a unique password. You then go onto a computer, put the unique password in, and then you just follow the online prompts, fill in the report, and then after that, I will get the PDFs through and then sent back to the uh, the individual as soon as. Alan, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for your time, not just uh, in this program, but in the preceding two episodes as well. Uh, it's been priceless. I'm sure that our listeners will benefit from it. Um, and uh, just the, the skills and the insights you've been able to give them as they move forward through their divorce and their separation. Well, I hope it's been some, some help. It's been most enjoyable and uh, I look forward to doing more in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.